0: And have a seat. Good morning. My, thank you, Elijah. It's always I'm always grateful when you're here because uh, even if everybody else hates what I'm saying, you're at least like, I'm praying for you. And I, and I was commenting to John Sims, uh, yeah, our brother that read the scripture earlier, that it's a joy preaching here at Redeemer and to have a pastor and elders that uh, allow me the privilege to do so. I, I love to preach, but more importantly, I love preaching in a place where I know the faces and I know the stories. Um, and even when you have to preach hard passages, I was telling John, I said, just the culture of our congregation is like, you know, I don't feel a performance pressure. Right? I feel a group of people coming along with me to worship the Lord and to encourage faithfulness and fidelity to Scripture. Um, and what I love about preaching through the Bible is that it forces you to talk through tough things that you might otherwise be tempted to avoid. Um, and so today we're talking uh, on uh, Jesus' teaching on fasting, uh, which is super popular in our culture today, uh, Now, intermittent fasting is popular, right, because it supposedly helps you burn more fat and lose calories and permits you to eat more carbs during a a period of time or something. But we're not talking about intermittent fasting right now. What we're talking about is uh, fasting. And and basically, the, the main point of biblical fasting is that the presence and power of God is the goal and the reward of fasting. When we humble ourselves and align ourselves and position ourselves to hunger for God, that the reward of that isn't more spiritual standing, isn't more status, isn't more power, isn't political sway. It's the Lord. Lord. And it's easy to say, well, one of the reasons we don't fast is because we have a low view of God. Now, that may not be the only reason. Um, Some of us just really like eating, right? So if we can avoid it, then we will. Um, but today, this is not meant as a condemning talk on why you don't fast. It's more of an encouragement of what's the point um, and what is the hope and the end of it, right, as we do that. Because the, two weeks ago, we talked about giving to the poor, um, almsgiving, as it were. And then last week, we talked about prayer, basically studying the Lord's Prayer. And then this week, uh, we're talking about fasting, which is very much tied to the discipline of prayer, and so as we understand how this works and the resources made available to us from the Lord for God and for our great enjoyment, we get to understand a little bit better. Now, the students and kids are probably like fasting, not eating. Are you kidding me? Some of you kids um, are like, I don't eat anyway, so what's a big deal? Um, but, but just we're going to dive into that this morning in Jesus' teaching. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, focusing primarily on Matthew's uh, chapter 6, 16 through 18. And Jesus said, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so all of this is in the context of common spiritual practices of the Jewish faith, Jewish faith, that these hearers would be aware of. There were times for giving and times set aside for prayer and specific times and purposes for fasting. But he continues to bring these comparisons of what you don't need to do and what you do need to do. You don't need to be like the hypocrites because they're mechanical, they're showy, and quite honestly, they're after pursuit of power. They want standing, they want power and authority over other people. But instead, the way of the kingdom is to position yourself out of trust and reverence of God, to draw near in secret, and to flourish from the inside out. And so the way of the kingdom is opposite of the way of the world, very specifically as it pertains to doing things that are ought to be launched and done in response to who God is and all that God has done is doing and will do. It's an act of worship, and so as we give generously, as we pray, and as we fast, these are our offerings as service to the Lord. In the Old Testament, fasting was a ritual of abstaining from food or drink for a predetermined period, often aligned with a season of mourning or of repentance or of grief and sorrow. And so, in the old covenant, it was it was abstaining for the purpose of doing these things. Um, one one of the uh, the the uh, day of Atonement in the Hebrew calendar was a day of fasting to atone for sins, to make sacrifices for sin. And it wasn't uncommon that as the tradition grew, people became um, more disheveled looking and were kind of upping their game. It's 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 kind of like um, dressing in dressing in your Sunday best right, where there are cultures of the church over the years where people would, um, you know, dress, you know, kind of casually throughout the week or whatever, but then they would pull out their best suit and their best tie, which is fine. It's great. The challenge, though, is is when you get like, well, I want to look better than Bob over there, so I'm going to go get me a new double breasted suit so I can be better. Now, the intent, I'm sure, was we want to give our best to the Lord. As we show up, we want to bring our best to the Lord. What ended up sneaking in was keeping up with the Joneses. So that happens with fasting, that happens with prayer, that happens with giving. Hmm, it sounds like a human condition. The church word is called sin. And so when sin creeps in, things that were meant to be offerings to the Lord became more about us. And so that's something we all need to be mindful of. I don't know about you, but I'm tempted to be more mindful of all y'all's problems than aware of my own. And Jesus is realigning them, saying, like, no, 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 no. Quit showing off for each other. Go in your closet and pray. Quit giving to be seen, but give in secret. Quit fasting so people think you're like level three Christian. But rather, as you fast, you do these things. So as the Old Testament comes, fasting was a response to either poor performance of an individual or poor performance of a nation. People would be called into a fast if there was lack of food or lack of uh, crop production. There would be responses hoping to appease God by our sacrifice of fasting. And Jesus is bringing a new paradigm that, hey, because Christ is the ultimate sacrifice, the way that believers in Christ are to respond are no longer out of just mourning and sorrow, but it shifts to a trajectory of hope, and of longing, and of dependency, and of need. So imagine Jesus would be saying things like, hey, if your marriage is suffering, fast and pray, not just to fix your marriage, but to connect with the one who can, to realign, reorient, and redirect your attention. In fact, we first see Jesus fasting in Matthew chapter 4 when he was led out by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And as he goes out there, he supernaturally fasts because going 40 days without water, without God's intervention, just to give you a heads up, you will die. So if we ask you or call you to a fast, we're also going to be cognizant of medical needs and awareness, right? Speak with your doctor beforehand. And really the abstention of food or abstention of water is one of the ways that we can fast. And we'll dive into that some more. But when we're looking at the purpose of fasting, understanding that it's a realignment and longing for God. So we see Jesus actually fasting and being tempted in the wilderness. And the way that he drew near to God and resisted the temptation was through his knowledge and understanding of God's truth revealed through God's word. And so as he was being tempted because he knew God's word, was able to lean not upon his own strength, but on the truth of his Father in heaven. And so, I don't know, uh, I do know about you, I'm going to quit saying that. Like, I'm sure of this, as I am sure of myself. One of our greatest downfalls in the church today, especially in the United States, is we're tempted to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, figure it out, and then go to God as a last resort. That's one of my, my foundational pride sins, as is most of you. I know you. If I'm a guest somewhere else, I can make a hypothetical claim. But I know you all. We figure it out. We ask for help at the last resort. We seek help when nothing else seems to work. It's not our first thing to do and pray and then ask for help. It's our very last thing to do. And sometimes we ask others for help before we even pray. And then hopefully our Christian friends are like, have you been praying about it? And you say, no, I have not. And then let's pray and then let's get the whiteboard out. I don't always do that because I, I like whiteboards and I like solving problems, right? And so, like, I, I'm just being candid with you, like, as we, we need these rhythms and spiritual habits to realign us and remind us of our own limitation, the gift of fasting is not meant to further harm humanity. It's meant to liberate humanity and remind us of our dependency on our Father, Clarence Bass wrote in a Bible dictionary, so hot reading, but I thought this was helpful. Fasting must be done within the context of the joyful thanksgiving of the new life in Christ. The context of fasting is prayer. It should conform to the same conditions as prayer, unostentatious quietness before God, arising out of gratitude, expressing thanksgiving, grounded in faith as a means of spiritual growth. We're not done yet. I have one George Barna quote that I use very often because it still fits. He says this, most people believe by about age 13, if they grew up in church, that they, need, they know all they need to know about God because they're being taught by people who had drawn the same conclusion. Are you following with me? Most people in the church believe they know all they need to know about God by age 13 because they are being taught by people who have also come to the same conclusion. I'll use it over and over again until we say, I might be 44 years old. I know nothing. But I know where to find it. And I'm going to continue pursuing it and chasing it. I might be 68, 78, 88 years old. I know something. I know a lot of what not to do. And I know a whole lot of where to look. But I, compared to the all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful, eternal God... I know little. It's a realignment. So we might be experts in what we do, but there's experts in every field. And guess who's the expert over all experts? The ultimate expert. It's realignment. It's repositioning. But Christian fasting launches from a place of gratitude and hope and desperation and need. So the first thing I want us to focus on is that fasting is an act of faith, acknowledging our dependency and need for God. It's an act of faith, acknowledging our need and dependency for God. I have fasted some throughout my, day, uh, my days, not always intentionally. Sometimes my ADHD has caught me super focused on something and I blew right through lunch. And all of a sudden I start getting sparkles in my eye and a little weak and super hangry. And my body science reminds me that without constant provision, I'm not as awesome as I think I am. Number one, I'm not as awesome as I think I am in general. And number two, without proper fueling, I can really do nothing. And so when I, seasons of intentional fasting have reminded me of, man, I'm highly dependent on food and coffee. We're just we're having church here today, we're being honest. I mean, we dope you up when you come in. You get your coffee, you get your sugar, your donuts, hopefully you don't crash. If Marcus or I go too long preaching, then you're sleeping by the end of it with, with the twitches. But fasting is ultimately a positioning of ourselves, of reminding ourselves, a habit of longing and reminding ourselves that we are a dependent being. You can only go so long without food, water, sleep, community, some solitude, refueling your tank, fun, I said the F word in church, fun. There's only so long we can go without those things. Richard Foster, who's written a lot on spiritual disciplines, one quote I thought was helpful is, fasting forever must forever center on God. The quest is God. More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. The most difficult problem is not finding time, but convincing myself that this is important enough to set aside the time. Disciplines are not the answer. They only lead us to the answer. It's a prioritization of a pursuit. What is it that controls us? What is it that we give our time and attention and affections to? Which idols are we misappropriating above our need for the Lord? So it reminds us of our dependency, reveals also our dependency on other things and people and stuff. So the second thing we see is fasting exposes our misplaced affections and our unbelief. It starts realigning us back towards the the wrong affections. Uh, I don't know about you. I can't really sleep at night until I watch my stories. We take an old-timey phrase, oh, he's listening to his stories. Watching a show, I feel entitled to watching a show or doing something to check my brain out. And I realize that sometimes that is my longing pursuit I can make it through this last meeting with none of y'all, trust me, but I can make it through my last meeting and go to dinner and have different things if I could just make it to the show. So there might be times where it might be wise for us to fast from the show. Not out of ways to pay God back, oh, my account's low, no, no, your account's full because of Christ. So it's not about rebalancing our accounts. It's about coming back and saying, hey, my affections are misplaced. My beliefs are off. If I'm through a season of people-pleasing and I feel so dependent on pleasures of other people that when I fast, I realize had the Lord not provided something for me to eat, I wouldn't have to worry about other people in the first place. Thank you, God, for being worried about what y'all think about me and having the food to be able to endure it. It's, it's a realignment. And so when we, when we go and read passages like Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, the easy thing to do is to start looking at culture and other people around us. But, but I want you to view this passage as a declaration of our own inclinations first, our own propensities first. And as we fast, we can ask the Lord To reveal things like this. Because what's scary about the wrath of God in the Old Testament, you knew you'd gone too far when he burned up your whole city. Or he flooded the earth. Or he changed your language on a whim. It was pretty clear, like, we overstepped our bounds. But what's scary is that it it appears in the teaching of the New Testament, God's wrath being revealed isn't by overt pain but by removal of his presence. And if the Bible you read always agrees with everything in your whim, Uh then I'm concerned that you might be handed over. And prayer and fasting humbles us and slows us to come back to the word of God in humility to say, what is your truth, Lord? Because here's what's true. Had the Lord not provided the food for you to eat or the water for you to drink, you wouldn't be able to commit the sin that you love. So if we remove that to realign ourselves, we can start really letting the Lord do some heart surgery. So it says in Romans 1, verses 18 through 25, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. First step of sliding away from the Lord is suppressing the the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Well, how has God shown it to them? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Go out the back door and take a look around. Go see God's creation around us. Look at the different unique people around us. God's creation and power is evidence of his creative power, authority, and care. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So they suppressed the truth, they deny what's true, turn their back on what's true, and instead, they pursue after lies. They ignore the evidence of God throughout creation and the things that have been made. And although they've known God and they know what's true about the nature of God, they have instead become death-oriented in their thinking. Notice how I'm saying their, but we can say Mine. suppressing the truth, turning towards lies that lead to death while we're without excuse, and claiming to be wise, knowing how to use the right knowledge, they become fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images, created things, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, friends, this is the wrath of God as revealed today. This is... The scary thing, this is what concerns me. Therefore, God gave them up, gave them over, handed them over. He didn't stop. He said, okay, that's what you want? Go. That's, scary. that's terrifying. That's scary. And if it means skipping a lunch once a quarter to rightly realign our hearts before God... What a gift. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. They worship the creation, they worship the food, the drink, the influencer, the thought, the lifestyle, whatever it is that I am predisposed towards, I will suppress truth to pursue those things. I will deny what's true to go after that, and hopefully God will be gracious and merciful and place warning signs around me and Preachers and friends and family members, and people that may, I might not even like to say, hey, turn around. I remember, you know, in Houston, whenever, I don't know if you know, this, Houston likes to flood. And so they would put signs out, turn around, don't drown. I used to make fun of those signs because they sound dumb until you're driving towards water that's deeper than it looks. Then you're grateful. And when we fast, we're able to humble ourselves and say, God, expose in me areas where I'm suppressing what's true, where I'm denying your creation, where I'm believing a lie, where I'm honoring others more than I'm honoring you. Jesus, where am I elevating my children or my spouse or my family or my friends or people and denying what's true in your word to go because I want to honor them. Where do I replace creature instead of the creator? We've got to start here, friends. It's easy to point out people who are missing the boat. But part of the reason we're not able to speak with any sort of consequence or authority in other people's lives is because we're not willing to expose ourselves before the Lord and experience his own transformation in us. Humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. You have a wayward spouse, a wayward child? Fast. Pray with hope. The Lord may not give you the answer you're looking for in the time frame you're looking for, but more importantly than getting the answer, you get God. Allah, Allah. Who do you think is able to comfort you in the midst of that suffering? The Lord. Who do you think is able to encourage you when you feel so discouraged? The Lord. Who do you believe who is able to save those who are perishing? The Lord. It realigns us to the one where we have hope. And so the gift of fasting isn't one of self-mutilation, self-abuse. It's not one of just self-denial. It's of us humbly saying, God, thank you for the reminder that we need you more. God, thank you that we need you more, but we don't feel it right now. I don't believe that right now, and so I'm going to work in my schedule a time. It's kind of like going to the gym or working out. You don't feel like it most of the time beforehand, but you're glad you did afterwards. Unless you do body pump. And then you can't walk for four days, but eventually you push through. But you're glad you did. You're you're grateful for the... And so one of the things where we have to mature is to actually do things that are good for us without wanting to or before we feel like it because even against our own best judgment, we are a needy people. Even for people who've had material success, they're able to pay for a lot of comfort without seeking the ultimate comforter. Where are you allowing money to replace your time with the Lord? food, drink, you name it. And I trust your spirit, if if you're at all attuned to the Lord, is raising up what is video games, whatever it is, money, whatever it is. And this isn't meant to bring guilt. If you're in Christ, the guilt has been paid for. This is an invitation to liberty, to be free, to say like, this isn't what I have to do any longer. There is a path out. There is a different way. There is ultimate hope. Because you are unconditionally loved, you're free to no longer continue on the path you're on. That's good news. That's news I need to be reminded of. And the older I get, I forgot what I just said. Otherwise, he said, say it again. I'm like, I was just on a roll. I forgot. So go back and watch a video. Uh, But as we go and as we hunger, as we long, we're able to come back and be realigned with the Lord. Number three is this. Fasting is not a means to manipulate God. So if you have a wayward child and you're fasting, it's not to manipulate God for him to speed up your suffering, but to acknowledge him through it. And acknowledge that he's your only hope and that he's the only one that can change your child or your parent or your friend or your enemy's heart. Counseling is great, coaching is great, mentoring's great, community groups great, pastors are great, but they're not the Lord. Doesn't mean we don't listen. The Lord gives us other people to help us get back on track. But ultimately, the Lord's the one that changes a heart. And Jesus was going after the group of people who said, Change your behavior and look right. No no no, he's saying, No, change your heart. It changed the fasting brings transformation from the inside out. It's not a means to manipulate God. The Lord knows what you need before you even pray it. That's what Jesus said earlier in this passage. It's a way of worship and service to come back and realign ourselves to the Lord. When people are deep in sin, they really love their sin. And if a Christian who's in love with their sin is persistent in their sin the loving thing to do is to invite them to fast. Take a break from doing this thing for an appointed season of time to pray. One of the number one pastoral care tricks if you lead a community group or you're friends with people is to say, slow down. When I'm counseling a, a couple for premarital and they have been engaging in marital things before they've gotten married, I don't say horrible you, bad you. I say, let's fast. Let's realign. Let's get our hearts in the right direction. Let's take a break and sit before the Lord in humility. Fasting, if there's anything that may be taking your affections, take a break. For an appointed period of time, for the purpose of prayer, and to realign yourselves. And some of the habits that you have that may have proven not so beneficial may stick around. You won't be worse off for it. And so it's that alignment of like, hey, we're going so fast, our culture's so fast. Before I can point out how all of you are suppressing the truth and how God's just moments away from handing you over to wrath, I have to start with myself. So that I can have the log removed from my own eye My eye healed up so I can come and delicately go after the speck in yours. And so I'm not just talking about trimming the log. I'm talking about removal. And guess who can remove the log? The Lord. Guess what? Y'all are sinners. And so am I. And some of our sins are prettier and more acceptable than others. But it all required the death of Christ on the cross. So rather than going on a witch hunt for sin, or celebrating sin, why don't we slow down and pray and fast, so that we can come with humility and grace to begin to identify ways to greater freedom in the Lord. Easier said than done, but there is a way. After all, we do pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven but we want it done in our time frame, in our schedule, in our journey. The word selah means to pause. Perhaps we pause and we fast. So I want to give you some, so I've heard talks before in prayer, and I'm like, awesome, so do I just go on a hunger strike and not eat? Like, what do I do? So I want to give you some practical steps to cultivate the discipline of fasting. And I combined it from several sources on the Internet, so you're welcome. (laughs) Google's. A miraculous uh, research tool. Practical steps to cultivate the discipline of fasting. Begin by a partial fast of 24 hours. So that means you miss one, two meals. So you maybe eat breakfast, you skip lunch, and over your, your lunch hour, you pray, read some scripture, ask the Lord to meet with you, even drink some juice if you're feeling a little shaky, right? Be mindful of your own body. Um, the initial hunger pangs does not mean that you're dying. I've learned um, but that your child is like a spoiled brat child. Your stomach is, not your child. Your stomach is like a spo- Your child might be too, but that's <laughs> prayer and we'll fast for that. Um, but this, the hunger pains, your, your, your stomach's acting like a spoiled child, right? Well, you normally feed me now. Why are you not feeding me now? Okay, well, you got to get used to that. Fine, you pray. And then you move to a 24-hour fast where you skip two meals. So basically, you have supper one night, you skip breakfast, you skip lunch, and then after, and you don't have to wait till sundown legalistically, but you wait till supper time, and you have dinner. And maybe you incorporate that once a month. I knew folks that would eventually move to one day a week. They would fast and pray specifically for themselves, for their church, for other opportunities, um, and they would put that in place. And as you get more used to that and realize, I'm not dying yet, Um, you can move on to a 36-hour fast, which is basically you eat dinner the night before, you eat no meals the next day, and then you have dinner the following day, or breakfast the following day, right? And then you can eventually mature to a three to seven-day fast. I've known people have done 21-day fasts with juices and water and things like that. Um, Again, uh, disclaimer, speak with your physician before going too long um, on any sort of fast, always drinking plenty of water, these are simple ways. And when you pray, maybe you haven't, haven't had a habit of prayer. Um, one of the things I found most liberating, especially in seasons of depression, is to be praying for other people and other things. And and really, to incorporate gratitude along the way, Lord, thank you for this. Thank you, thank you for these dark seasons and for these valleys, because it makes me so much more grateful for the peaks and the opportunities. Um, Thank you, Lord, for me knowing what it's like to be far from you, because it helps me enjoy so much more being near to you. Um, And and it's it's an act of faith. It's it's I don't feel it yet, but I'm hopeful. And Lord, I don't feel like I should be hopeful, but I'm going to, with your help, be hopeful. So we're always looking for immediate alleviation, but it's that way forward. Because as we pray together, as we fast, as we incorporate some of these disciplines, our maturity and our humility begins to grow, and we're not so quick to suppress God's truth. And we're not so quick to deny what creation shows. And we're not so crude to lean on our own understanding, we're more inclined to realign ourselves with the Lord, saying, Lord, my experience and feeling doesn't match your word, but I'm willing to give some space. Please do some work on me. Please. Whatever that might be. And as we give that space and we mature and we grow, that's where real freedom is found. I think, unfortunately, in Christian freedom today, we confuse Christian freedom with the idea that because God loves me, he wants me to do everything that feels right to me right now if it feels true to me, I need to go do that because God loves me and I'm free to do that, regardless of what it is. I fall into that trap all the time. The challenge is, is that's not real freedom. In fact, that smells a bit more like being handed over. The most horrible thing about wrath is an eternal fire, which does not sound pleasant. The most horrible thing about God's eternal wrath is not having him in his presence, in his love, in his joy. And when we fast, it realigns us and humbles us to long for eternity again. The presence and power of God is the goal, and it's also the reward of our fasting. Let's pray together.